listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please check the ICDL parent website at the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for a free virtual floor time consultation or for the weekly parent support meetings. We aim to help you implement your program at home using the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR, taking into account your child's developmental level, their individual differences, and using your relationship with them to help promote and support their development. Hello, this week we have a special topic, something that people ask about all the time when discussing DIR floor time, the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model. What about research? Is there research behind this? So that is the topic of today's podcast with Dr. Diane Cullinane. Welcome, Dr. Cullinane. Thank you. Dr. Cullinane is a developmental pediatrician and expert DIR floor time practitioner in South Pasadena, California. She was the co-founder and executive director of PCDA, the Professional Child Development Associates, until she recently retired in December. Congratulations. Thank you. She is one of the founders of the DIR Coalition of California, which advocates for DIR floor time. And she is the author of Behavioral Challenges in Children with Autism and Other Special Needs, The Developmental Approach, which is what we talk about here at Affect Autism. Thank you, Dr. Cullinane, for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. This is such an important topic and I'm happy to have this opportunity to talk about it. I do want to point out that Dr. Cullinane had prepared, it's available on the ICDL website, a white paper about research at icdl.com slash research, evidence-based for DIR floor time, a white paper by Dr. Diane Cullinane here, if you click this link. And the presentation she's giving today is an update to that, which she's in the process of updating. So when that's available, it will be on the ICDL website as well and at icdl.com slash research is where anybody who's advocating and needs to find themselves in the place of defending uh, or justifying the use of DIR floor time can look at that page, icdl.com slash research. I will also say there's a podcast I did with Dr. Joshua Fader, who I know you've worked closely with on, in the Coalition of California and, and other ways. I did a podcast with him about the move towards developmental approaches. So how uh, the research, if you look at the research, and I can, I can tell from what you're presenting today, the research is moving from behavioral strategies to incorporate more developmental approaches. And if you keep going down the line, DIR is at the end of the spectrum of completely client-based and developmental approach. So that is definitely a trend moving forward. So this is very helpful today. And we are lucky that Dr. Cullinane has prepared some slides and presentation. If you are listening on audio, we'll do the best to describe what's in the slides. Otherwise, if you're watching the video, um, Dr. Cullinane is going to share her screen. So the first slide says evidence-based practice. And I think this is a good place to start because this is why we're talking about research. Research is one part 
of a decision-making process. So for a family, for a clinician, they're needing to decide what's the best approach to use with my child. One of the considerations is research. It's not the only reason. We put research as one of a three-part stool that I put here. There's research. The second part is clinical expertise. So the experience of the clinician who's helping to make this decision, what is their experience? What are, what are their observations? And thirdly, knowing about the individual characteristics of the child, the family, what are their values, their circumstances? And this is particularly important in autism because every child is different and every family is different. So this is just to start by putting the research that we're going to be talking about in the perspective of an evidence-based process. And always we're um, comparing behavioral approaches and developmental approaches. The best known, of course, and an equal term for behavioral is ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis. It's a certain way of understanding behavior and changing behavior. And we're gonna contrast that with developmental approaches, sometimes called developmental relationship-based approaches, and in language, the term developmental social pragmatic interventions. And DIR is the leader in developmental approaches. It's, the terms are not uh, equal in terms of ABA is all of behavioral, DIR is not all of developmental, but it's the best known and it's uh, in, in some ways the most comprehensive of the developmental models. Now we do have to talk a little bit more about other terminology that's used. Laura Schreibman and a large group of people wrote an article in 2015 and all of the articles that I'm going to reference are in a reference list that is available to you. They coined the term naturalistic developmental behavioral intervention. And the reason that this began to be used was because the traditional ABA wasn't really successful with younger children. And so they took some of that ABA framework and applied it more in play, looked more at some of the foundational elements of uh, a language in particular. And then another term came along, naturalistic interventions. And this term was really coined, I, as far as I can tell, in a more formal way by Jessica Steinbretter in 2020. And naturalistic interventions include um, those that are more of a behavioral as well as a developmental approach. And then another term that's used is parent-mediated interventions or parent-implemented interventions, which can be either behavioral or developmental. So we have a lot of um, different terms here that you'll see used in, say, reviews. And uh, so it's, it's important to see a little bit about how these different terms overlap. Just a little bit more about naturalistic developmental behavioral interventions. As I mentioned, uh, 
there's an article about uh, sort of coining this term from in 2015. So all of these by their definition are ABA. They use behavioral strategies, but they're looking at uh, a little bit different than previous ABA in that they're, they're trying to teach the things that say come before language, joint attention and engagement. An example of these would be Amy Weatherby's study called Early Social Interaction Project. If you're interested, her articles in 2006 and 2014. And another example, which would be um, of uh, sort of not an NDBI, but naturalistic and developmental social pragmatic would be Brooke Ingersoll's uh, Project Impact from 2013. So uh, those are some articles that you can look at if you're interested in these, these other categories. But let's try and define what we mean by a developmental approach. First of all, it's developmental. Okay, what does that mean? There's a developmental framework. And if you're familiar with a DIR floor time, you're familiar with the milestones. And that we start with a foundation of engagement, shared attention, and especially that milestone two, warmth, trust, joyful, pleasurable interactions. And that's quite unique to the developmental approach. And the developmental approach is holistic. So we keep those foundations of warmth and engagement even as we work towards higher levels. And in particular, you'll see as we, as we look at some of the research that the focus is so strongly on relationship on social and emotional development and on that affective attunement. And uh, as it says here, there we work with the parents. It's very much individualized, not just to the characteristics of the child, but also to the characteristics of the parent and the parent-child relationship. So um, they uh, follow the child's lead. All behaviors are meaningful. There's less of an adult agenda. It's really following the child and it's generally less structured than behavioral approaches. Gerald Mahoney, who is one of the researchers we'll be talking about, in one of his papers talked about the difference between teaching skills and encouraging a child to learn those skills. And I thought that was a very elegant way to talk, to try and describe the differences. So in terms of research um, for DIR, we always have to start at the very first reports, which were Greenspan and Weider first in 1997, had a case, case review. This isn't a standard research, it's just a, a report of, um, over 200 cases of children who had received over two years of DIR showing that they could become joyful and have spontaneous communication it was possible. And this uh, study was, or 
report came out 10 years after Lovas reported the good results that he had had with ABA. So this was kind of an introduction of a, of a new and different way of working with children. And then in 2005, they did a 10-year follow-up. This is again not a, a research, but a report that they were able to follow 16 children or find them 10 years later to see how they were doing and described how they had done very, very well, basically, that they had achieved these high levels of empathy and money. Most of them were excellent students and some were very talented. So these were important descriptions of a new way of understanding what was possible for children with autism. So I know um, this has been brought up by the CEO of ICDL, Jeff Bunzel, when DIR maybe had some questioning around the original language in DIR floor time. And Jeff has pointed out that you have to remember in the 90s, there was not a lot known about autism. And Dr. Greenspan was a psychiatrist. He was a, a medical doctor. And it was very much in terms of medical language. And ICDL has moved with the times to understand now that what was seen in 1997 as being possible for children to become empathetic, we now understand that autistic kids are empathetic. It's just a matter of us being able to recognize that and meet them where they're at and to, be, to see it um, demonstrated in ways that are observable. And I, I just wanted to point that out because the way research is written still to this day is very much in terms of disorders and uh, deficiencies. And we're now understanding it more along the lines of neurodiversity. And I know you're getting to that going forward, but I wanted to just point out that this is the way things were written in the day. And it was very much a new way of looking at things and a much more empathetic way of looking at autism intervention as well. Yes, and, and I also think that within the milestones, we're talking about the initial milestones being shared attention, engagement, and reciprocity, and that ability to have uh, co-regulation and perspective of others is a higher developmental milestone. So all children, whether they have autism or just typical development, move into becoming empathetic. It, it, it's a developmental process. And I think he's talking about that, they, that children with autism are able to move up that developmental ladder the same way it, it is the same process that all children go through. Excellent point, yes. So I'm gonna um, mention first some studies that are not specifically DIR and then some studies that are. So um, if you look at reviews and all the different research, there's these are some of the studies that are referenced the most often. So there's one in, from Scotland, the Scottish Center for Autism, Gerald Mahoney, Responsive te uh, Teaching, Aldred, Social Communication, uh, etc. You can see them here. And I'm just going to, um, not going to great detail because it's 
too much, but just a little bit about each one of these so you can see how they support the developmental approach. The first one is from Jeff Salt, which is, and, and on all of these, I'm just using the first author, but there are multiple authors on these studies. And this is from the Scottish Center for Autism. And the part I've highlighted in yellow, this is the target. The target of, the, of their research was reciprocal social communication. And some of the strategies, which you'll see over and over again, take the lead from the child and interpret every behavior as a potential interaction. The numbers I put there on, on each study, 14-6, that's um, 14 children in the, that were enrolled and six, which would be controlled if it's a controlled trial. In this case, it was a waitlist trial the age of the children, and then the months of the intervention. And the next one, uh, Gerald Mahoney and Frida Perales, and um, that the numbers there, 2003, 2005, are the years of their research. And then I've also put two articles there in parentheses, and these are articles which really talk about the methodology and the thinking behind the approach. And it's really, I highly recommend that you read uh, Gerald Mahoney in 2009. And he, he talks so much about why a highly structured approach is not needed and why he focused on parent responsivity with a focus on contingency and affect and affect matching and reading every um, behavior, again, the same idea. Every behavior is an indicator of the child's interest. And Catherine Aldred, which looked at um, a program called Child Talk. Again, the focus was on parent-child communication and promoting a highly sensitive adult response. Hannah Skirts and Sam Odom in 2007 described a, a program they called Joint Mediated Learning. Again, the focus was on parent-child relationship and joint attention. Jennifer Elder had a paper about intervention with fathers. Think, you know, there's so much about working with mothers. What about if we work with fathers? And then the fathers would teach the mothers and then did, did they do that and which they did and then focusing on parent-child social responsivity. So you're getting the trend here that one after the other, we're focusing on the parent-child relationship, uh, their sensitivity, their ability to respond contingently. Then another important study is by Jonathan Green. His method is called PACT, Preschool Autism Communication Trial. And um, again, the target, increased parental sensitivity and responsiveness. And it's a very large study, 77 children. Uh, in this, uh, I forgot to mention, uh, the ones that are highlighted in gold were the randomized control trials. And uh, 
This one was a randomized control trial, 77 children in the treatment group and 75 in the uh, control group. Then the next study um, underneath I put them together was um, the PICKLE study, which looked at these same children in the follow-up uh, about five to six years later to see how they were doing and they were doing well. And then um, Raman in, uh, took the same method and applied it in a randomized controlled trial in India and Pakistan. And um, I wanted to mention that in the green article, 2010, there's a supplement at the end of the article that um, really describes in detail how they work with parents and how they promote parents' ideas, their creativity. And we're looking at the interaction patterns between the children and the parents. And then Michael Siller in 2013 and um, used a methodology called focused playtime intervention. This is another randomized control trial again looking at responsive parental behaviors and social engagement. It's also interesting that this study went with children that were up to six years, 10 months of age. So looking at a little bit older children. And then in 2014, they reanalyzed um, the, the data uh, looking at specifically at attachment behaviors and found that there was increase in the measures looking specifically at attachment. And then the last uh, developmental study I just wanted to mention is one that I really enjoy. Maybe it's the name, the Turtle Project. It's in Rome, Italy, and it's a, it's a uh, project that's been going on for over 40 years. And this was a study, was two different reports, um, uh, basically the same study of a four-year study. And they had 90 children that they followed and the ages of the children were very broad between two and a half and 16 and a half. But again, the focus of this intervention is on relationships. They were also looking at IQ, at intelligence or cognition, and not many studies look at that specifically, but they, as they describe it, it, it um, and they reference Greenspan in, in their philosophy and their thinking in that cognitive development and social development are inseparable. And we always say that in the DIR approach is, is social and and language communication and cognitive and um and in this project they talk about the the sensory piece the individual differences and the and the cognitive piece and i just for the sake of of time i mush all these together but basically the outcomes of the studies all show improvements in those things that were targeted so the terms are different, socialization, social interaction, social emotional functioning, 
all the things that we, as I mentioned, uh, initiation, reciprocal interaction. Also, autism severity, which is basically looking at the scores on the ADOS, which are the core symptoms of autism, improved. Some of them showed improvement in language. Um, the one that looked at attachment behavior showed improvement, and the one that looked at IQ showed improvement. So these are all important uh, contributions to the research support for DIR. Another study which I've separated out, and it's not usually included in the reviews, and I think that's because the, uh, the 10 children that were studied were both children with autism and children at risk for autism. So they, it doesn't, exactly fit, but um, I think it's a, it's a very uh, supportive study. It's from the Isle of Wight in England, and the name of the intervention is Scheme to Promote Early Inter Interactive Conversation. The methods are described in the article from 2004, but um, their focus, again, facilitating relationships with caregivers and using those same strategies, building on the child's interest. The outcomes, again, were great. Increased attention, joint attention, and communication. <clears throat> and now we can look at some uh, specifically DIR studies. And the ones I've highlighted in gold are the ones that are randomized control trials. So we'll look at each of these very briefly. So Dr. Rick Solomon, person who developed the PLAY project. And this is a home training model where the parents uh, do the DIR 15 hours a week with their child. And they have home visits and video analysis in between visits. And in uh, 2007, he described 68 children and how well they did with this intervention. And then in 2014 was a very large study with 64 children who had the play project intervention and 64 controls over a 12 month period. And I'm gonna again, consolidate some of the outcomes. Dr. King Kao Paljarea in Thailand had a um, randomized control study, 2011 with 16 children. And she works in a clinic where uh, children uh, may come from a long ways away. So they had an initial workshop and then they would come back every three months and then they would be doing floor time at home for 15 hours a week. And uh, she had her study and then she, the, the second study is a one year follow-up. Devin Kazenheiser uh, did a randomized control trial of DIR in 2011 with 25 children and 26 in the control group. These are very large numbers for a research study. And they did uh, coaching two hours a day um, once a week and over a 12 month 
period. And then uh, parents only visit every eight weeks. And then um, Dr. Lau in, Taiwa in Taiwan, who's from the Department of Occupational Therapy, did a study with 11 children um, over a 10-week period. And then Helena Rice, who's in Portugal, see we have DIR all over the world, did a study with um, sessions one to two times a week over 10 months with 25 children, again, a large number. So those are all studies to look at. And then if you just look at the outcomes overall of the outcomes of these DIR studies, you'll see improvements specifically in the functional development. The FEAS, which you said, Daria, you're, you're learning now, is a very well-respected measure of functional development along the lines of our DIR milestones. Um, and the FEDQ is the Functional Emotional Developmental Questionnaire. That's uh, similar. And the improvements are seen exactly in the tar targets that we had, that these studies had focused on. Initiation, engagement, reciprocity, parent-child interaction, autism severity, and some of spontaneous language. The languages uh, I'll talk a little bit more about and um, in the Pajarea study, which looked at follow-up after a year, found that many of the children had continued to make good progress, even though they had not been continuing to re receive the intervention. Um, this is uh, uh, Devin Kazenheiser's study. In 2011, the randomized control trial uh, did not show an improvement in language. It did show that there was a greater enjoyment in the interaction, more attentive and involved interactions, um, and surprisingly improved compliance, even though that wasn't something they were measuring. But his feeling was that the children were so much more engaged and that perhaps the measures of language which they were using were not sensitive because they were looking at the traditional um, words used and things like that. And so they went back and reanalyzed all their videotapes and found that yes, in fact, there was an increase in mean length of utterance, number of utterances, the number and types of functional language acts. So there was increased communication, just a different um, than what had been picked up on something like the PLS. And this is just one slide to show you that there's many, many studies that show that the positive outcomes that we're seeing are linked and related to the amount of the parents' responsiveness and engagement. And that's why so much of these developmental uh, interventions are focused on the parents' responsivity and uh, sensitivity. And now it's important to look at some of the reviews. These are where a lot of policy decisions are made by looking at um, the reviews and what do the reviews say when they put all of these, this different information together. 
Amanda Binns uh, wrote a review in 2019 and was talking about developmental social pragmatic interventions. And she actually put a, a definition here of what that is, if, uh, if you're interested in looking at, at what that is. We did a podcast, Amanda and I, on oh, affectautism.com about this publication. So I'll put the link to that in the write-up of this blog post of our podcast today. I think this is an important one. I'm glad you had the opportunity to talk to her about that. Another uh, review is Michael Sandbank, also fairly recent. And I think it's important if you're in the position to be in advocacy um, to look at these more recent reviews and not some of the older reviews. Michael Sandbank in this very uh, well-written report talks about some of the older reviews um, and what some of the downfalls were in, not just that they're older, but in the methodology that they used. He and his team, it was a team from across the country, looked at seven different types of intervention and basically came down with positive effects for three, behavioral interventions, developmental interventions, and naturalistic developmental behavioral interventions. But when they looked only at randomized control trials, then only developmental and naturalistic developmental behavioral showed significant positive effect, not behavioral. And then he had this statement, which is here if anyone needs it about insurance, um, that if, if there's insurance that explicitly covers only behavioral, they need to change. <laughs> they need to look at these other um, approaches. So this is a, a review that um, has a lot of great information in it. And then Jessica Steinbrenner and others at the University of North Carolina, very well-respected National Clearinghouse on Autism uh, Studies. And in their way they categorize, they have, they use the term naturalistic interventions, both behavioral and developmental. And they also use the category parent implemented interventions. And under both of those, there's a lot of studies. Most of those that I have discussed today are listed under their, these two, which are their categories as evidence-based. And then Kobe Boshoff, who's in Australia, did a review only of DIR floor time programs. And the conclusion was that the evidence base is emerging and the most prominent outcome is social emotional. And that the DIR floor time approach should be used in the context of evidence-based practice, which is of course, very important to always emphasize for any particular child. We go back to that three-legged stool and that this is one part of a decision-making, the research is one part of a decision-making process. So we always hear ABA is the only evidence-based treatment. So I hope I've showed today that there's plenty of evidence for developmental approaches ABA clearly has the edge in terms of volume of research. And there are different reasons for that. It's been around longer. Also, 
it's kind of um, easier to, uh, because it's based on observable and discrete behaviors and skills. Whereas developmental approach is focused on these sort of intangibles of parent-child um, relationship and is generally less structured and is looking at development in a little more holistic way. So we know our goals related to the milestones. And now with this additional research that's coming forward, we're, move, we're moving to becoming more accepted as an evidence-based practice. Um, I also wanted to just mention this. This is from Department of Defense. Uh, the Department of Defense for the military has an insurance program called TRICARE, and they pay for a lot of services. And they have a huge number of children. I didn't have the number right here, but a huge number of children across the country are receiving ABA through TRICARE. And the Department of Tr Defense really tracks outcomes. And they have been quite concerned that children receiving ABA have had very little progress at 12 months and 18 months. And in fact, their terms is it may not be clinically significant. So they are um, evaluating what's going on. They have started funding, well, they for some time now, they've been funding Play Project, which is a DIR-based approach. It's now being used at three bases, um, over 200 children. And this report um, was for 2019, so I'm sure it's grown by now. But um, there is real interest in looking at developmental models for the military services. So just in conclusion, what does DIR floor time offer? And we go back to the D, the I, and the R. So it, it, the D, it's, it's a complete developmental framework. So a lot of the research looks at those early milestones, engagement, uh, the sense of pleasure and enjoyment and reciprocal interaction. But the art, as you know, our framework goes up to higher levels of symbolic thinking and logical abstract thinking, developing sense of personal values. And our DIR model goes all the way up to these highest levels. It has the important aspect of looking at individual differences, not just what toys the cho child chooses to play with or the games they like to play, but looking at that more deeply. What does that tell us about their motor planning ideas, their um, motor planning abilities, their uh, sensory motor profile, and of course that focus on parent-child relationships. So I think the future, we think about what's the future for research. We need to have research that looks at subpopulations. Girls are often, you know, kind of left out because there are fewer girls with autism. Um, older children, higher levels. And I think very importantly, looking at populations with different sensory motor profiles, the children who have lots of motor difficulties, the children who are highly 
reactive, the ones that are underreactive, and what how they respond differently to different interventions. Also in the methodologies, when we look at all these different studies and they talk about their methods, a lot of times they're talking about, in, again, increasing parental sensitivity and responsiveness. But in DIR, Greenspan talked about that's not enough. You have to join the child and then you have to challenge them. And how do we describe that challenge within the play that we're doing without making it end up sounding like a behavioral strategy because that's not really what it is. And I find that that's somewhat lacking in the descriptions of the methodologies for the research because they're so focused on that entry level milestone one and two. Also in the future, there's going to be some great new technology. I have seen in some conferences where they have the capacity to track eye gaze within multiple people and gestures and movements. And um, right now the, the state of the artist is a lot about video coding, recording and sitting there and tracking, you know, having a, a tech go through and code every little movement, but technology is gonna be able to do that. And then direct brain measures. Uh, and looking at changes in the brain itself. And then another um, thing coming in the future is genetics. And I've referenced here an, a recent article that talks about autism being a developmental consequence of different genetic susceptibilities. And that if we can intervene with some of those susceptibilities, we may not advance, the child may not advance to the autism symptomatology, which really goes along with our DIR approach. So there's a lot of um, different ways that the field is growing. Um, it's very exciting. And uh, every year we're getting more and more research that will support what we know from our expertise, clinical practice observations, what is so effective for children and families. So that's the conclusion of my little uh, presentation. There are my emails here, anyone's free to contact me. And I know um, I've created a reference list that Daria is making available to everyone. So thank you, Daria, for inviting me to talk about this today. Thank you, that was very thorough and very helpful. I know you also mentioned technology. I did another podcast with Dr. Fader about the Connection Coder app, and I will put a link to that too. The new Connection Coder app is available only on iOS, but it, it takes a video. You can do a video with your child doing floor time, and you get all of this information that you can look into uh, if you go to check out that podcast. And I will be doing a follow-up podcast with Dr. Fader about using that application as well to help parents really understand. Uh, a lot of parents, when they first start, they, it's hard for them to understand how to play. They might have forgotten to play, and we're so used to teaching our kids things. And everywhere 
we're told to teach skills and they need to learn this and and um we really step back in floor time and make it more play-based and like you mentioned uh through all of those research studies really following the child's interests and their emotional intent and joining them exactly and uh having fun yes yes one thing that you had brought up during the podcast was about ABA having a larger volume of research behind it. And I just wanted to touch on that a little bit more about why it is that there's so many studies that show that ABA is successful and how difficult it is to do randomized control studies with a developmental approach because it's hard to to uh, pinpoint development, let's say. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, ABA is, um, their research a lot of times is with a smaller number of children and they're looking at some very specific skill and they may be evaluating a different type of ABA intervention, you know, like is it prompting, chaining, what type of reinforcement that they're using and they do a lot of counting. They do a lot of counting and measuring. And um, as we were talking about earlier, there's no question that ABA is effective in that you can change behavior based upon what the consequences are. And it affects every one of us every day. You know, we do things more when we get praised and we do things uh, less if there's a negative consequence of some type. But my question always is, uh, what is the goal? What is the goal of uh, our intervention? And uh, when we're talking about the development in a more humanistic way, developing a sense of, of warmth and connection and relationship and understanding that de development happens, it's not taught. Serena Weider always would say, you can't teach development. You, so our developmental approach is based on a very different understanding of how children change. And that if we focus on a, this sense of, of a foundation of engagement and, in, and enjoyment and pleasure and trust in the relationship, the child will emerge into higher and higher levels and each level emerges to the next level. So it's not about teaching a child to engage, it's providing them the opportunity that they want to engage. It's a, diff it's, a, it's a different way of looking at it. And so while ABA is effective, the question is what are, what is the outcome? What is the child really experiencing and learning from that? Right, you might get a baseline of a certain number of responses to parent questions at the beginning, and then you train the child to answer questions, give them rewards, and at the end, look at all the responses they give, and that is considered successful, but what the development developmental people would say is well what is the meaning of doing that 
What is the meaning of them memorizing responses? Do they actually understand what they're responding to? And as parents, is that what we want for our children to just be rotely memorizing scripts to get through life? Or do we want them to really be able to truly relate and connect with other people? And do we want them to have um, higher thinking processes where they can make decisions for themselves? And I think that is the harder thing to measure for sure. I know we were talking beforehand about the complexities of doing, you know, the proper randomized control studied research. Ideally, you'd have, you know, cells of each uh, cohort and you'd have a good, good enough sample size, but how, you know, how practical is it to find, you know, X number of families that have a two-parent loving relationship family versus and the other cell, which is single parents, uh, maybe mothers only, another cell, fathers only, another cell, parents that fight all the time, another cell, um, both parents involved, but they live separately, or one is working away from the home X days a week, and then mention all of the individual differences of children, some that have a lot more challenge moving and, and motor control over their body versus a child who is non-speaking versus a child who's very verbal but has other um, sensory challenges going on. So to be able to truly compare and, and all of that in a statistical sense or that research methodology sense, and, and Dr. Cullinane has pointed out she's not a researcher, she's a clinician, but she clearly has a good handle on all of the research. Um, it, it would be almost impossible, but I would say the same for ABA. It's, it's impossible to get those uh, groups and to truly be able to say that this works for everybody, unless you're doing skill-based taught types of things, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think your point is that life is complicated <laughs> and uh, research always has to kind of chop things down to small little increments to be able to study and measure them. So there's definitely limitations uh, to any type of research. And when our goals are so broad, you know, we want children to be spontaneous, to be creative. We want parents to be spontaneous and be creative in their play with their children. It makes it a little bit more challenging to set up those research parameters to measure. But it can be done, and it is being done, um, and I think we'll continue to see that advance. I also think that something to put on that future considerations slide, uh, which I see a trend happening from the research that you're showing towards parents' involvement, is to stop thinking of autism as this container of something that exists. <laughs> I mean, children don't grow up in isolation and develop in isolation. And, you know, it's completely dependent on who is bringing them up and who is supporting them or not supporting them. And so, of course, all of these parent-mediated interventions are going to show success because what human being doesn't thrive when they have love and support and, um, you know, those relationships around them to help them develop? 
that that's the type of thing that I think is is still lacking in the research. It's still sort of assuming that this child is born with this set of differences and and then they develop. <laughs> but it's never in a container. It's it's always um, I think to me it's so it's so obvious that when parents are more involved and when parents are more respectful and when parents are trying to connect that of course the outcomes are going to be wonderful. There's so much focus on specifics of intervention that people lose, lose sight of that more important thought which benefits any child anywhere, not just autistic children. That, that is part of our DIR model is that this is a universal developmental model that applies to all children. And here we're talking about DIR for autism, but DIR was not developed for autism. It was, it, it's a universal um, understanding of child development. And it's really interesting to dig into some of these research papers. Um, I was thinking of the one that is from Scotland, the, the SALT study, and how they talk about how they provide emotional support to the parents and what the parents are going through in these early years of getting the diagnosis and the grieving process and how they feel on entering a program, how they feel as they're exiting a program. There's definitely a, in the developmental literature, a lot of recognition of that this is, uh, that you look at both sides of that relationship, not just at the child, but understanding the parent's perspective as well. That's universal in all of these developmental studies. And I did want to point out, people in the DIR world point out the study at York University a lot of times, and it, it's usually not mentioned in, like today, I don't think it was on one of your charts, that original study. I know you talked about um, the Kassenheiser study, but there, the portion of that that showed the pre and post brain scans has oh, never yeah. officially been published. So that's why it's not included in a lot of the research reviews. But there are other studies, other publications that came out of that research at York University where they, and it was covered on national television here in Canada. And we use that video clip on, on the homepage at Affect Autism, the homepage at ICDL. Um, so there's also that, and it's, it's um, one of those things that you hope these types of studies will be replicated so that there's more and more support for a client-based play-mediated, parent-mediated uh, intervention like DIR floor time to be the norm over these more harsh behavioral skill teaching techniques. I think that'll be better in general. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are a, a lot of people that are looking at research. Many PhDs are doing DIR floor time. Um, we need more money, of course, in the big universities, because if you're doing studies like with the brain changes in the brain, that's costly, and uh, so it's a it's slow it's slow progress. But uh, hopefully, we'll get the dollars pointed towards that type of research, so we can um, really demonstrate the changes that we see clinically. 
And if anyone out there is an aspiring researcher or you're in your undergrad and you're thinking about going this direction, Fielding has a wonderful infant and child development program. It was originally started with Dr. Stanley Greenspan who started DIR and, and ICDL. It's now taken over um, by Fielding. It's all online and it's more geared towards people who have jobs and careers and they do it part-time, although I don't think you have to already be there, but there is wonderful PhD level research. There is data out there. I can tell you if you need to know about data sets, I can direct you in the right place where there's lots of data available. You just need people to come and do the research and uh, the more research that's done, the more support uh, we will have for funding. Absolutely. But I, just in closing, I really encourage people to go to some of these studies. I've only had a chance to just basically introduce them today. And some of them are make very, very interesting reading about the, the process, the, the thought process that went into the design of these different approaches. Well, thank you so much. I will put a link to everything we spoke about at the podcast, affectautism.com about research. If you search research on the site, it'll come up. I can't thank you enough for doing this for us, Dr. Colonnane. Thank you, and I hope you continue to enjoy your busy retirement. <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me, and thanks for all the work that you do, Daria. Thank you. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play. <laughs>